Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, David Amber, who hosts Hockey Night in Canada for Sportsnet. Thanks so much for coming on, David. How's it going? Uh, Alex, great to uh, be here. Thanks for having me on. And uh, so far, so good. We're just getting the season up and running, but so far, it's been a lot of fun. Great. So I just wanted to start off and how I normally do with our guests is talk a little bit about their careers and how they became sports journalists. And, and in your case, I know your dad was in not a sports journalist, but your dad, Arnold, was in the industry. And I know he took you to Coach's Corner as a kid at Maple Leaf Gardens. Was it a dream of yours to be on Coach's Corner someday when you were a kid? Um, well, it was it was really cool to meet Ron and Don. Uh you know, very, very, you know, when I think I was, a, must have been a teenager back then. And, and yeah, my, my late father, uh, Arnold, he was um, an executive producer of news specials at CBC. So he covered a little bit of sports, but mostly it was, you know, the Royal wedding and the uh, Pope visit and all sorts of all the election shows were sort of, he was a great political mind. And um, so I, he did do some sports though, some Olympics, et cetera. And because of his position, I was able to sort of Get a chance to meet Ron and Don, which was very cool for me as a young man who wanted to get in potentially into broadcasting and just loved hockey so much. So, um, yeah, I, I guess a dream come true. I, I maybe the the dream part of it was I was a huge, huge Leaf fan as a kid growing up, and once in a while my dad would get tickets. They were horrible tickets. We'd always be in like the top top row, and everyone would be smoking. It was in the nineteen seventies. People would be smoking in the arena at Maple Leaf Garden. But I just remember sitting there and watching and just the, the sight lines at Maple Leaf Gardens, even though, you know, it was a long time ago, even if you were in the top, top row, were, were quite good. So I, I just remember that was always fun. Two, three times a year, we'd go to a game and um, just the chance to sort of be able to watch the players I love most, the Daryl Sittlers and the Lanny McDonald's of the world was, was really cool as a young kid. No, that's that's really cool. And, and when when did you kind of start thinking about a career in sports journalism? Um, I guess... I thought about it maybe a little bit in high school, but I don't think I was mature enough to really, you know, decide like what, how the path would work. So I went off to university and I'd say around my third year at, at undergrad um, at McGill University, I started to say, yeah, you know what, sports broadcasting would be something I'd really like to, you know, I'm passionate about it, love to pursue a career in that. And so I just started out writing for the McGill Tribune and I'd go and I'd cover sports events and, you know, it was fun. It was just getting your feet wet a little bit. And then I sort of went full throttle after graduating from McGill to, you know, how am I going to go about trying to make a career out of this? So that's when it really sort of hit me. I, I better get on that path. And what was your first job in the industry and, and, and how did that come about? Oh, man. Uh, it took a while, Alex. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I wasn't sure this industry was for me because I, I went off to university, back to university. I went to, I went to sorry, Syracuse University and did a master's in broadcast journalism. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, Mike Tirico in here and Bob Costas and Len Berman and, you know, all these, you know, Ted Koppel, all these incredibly, you know, famous and successful journalists. Like, how hard could it be? I've got my piece of paper here. Uh, I found out how hard it could be because I started, you know, shooting out tapes to all these different entry level positions as a sports broadcaster, you know, weekend sports anchor in Joplin, Missouri and Jackson, Mississippi and Bangor, Maine and uh, Redding, California, all these very little entry level markets. And it was just rejection, 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 rejection. It was not fun. Um, and it took me, you know, long story short, it took me about 11 months of, of rejections uh, I started, I left the States, I went back home, lived in my parents' house, and thankfully they didn't charge me rent. So I was able to just drive around and start handing out tapes to all these different news directors in Ontario. And finally, I, I went and met with someone in Sudbury, 
uh, Mark Oldfield, who said, well, we don't have anything here for you, but I'll pass your tape along to the other MCTV, Mid-Canada Television Networks, our stations, and we'll see what happens. And about two months after that, I got a call uh, from Sault Ste. Marie. And so this is November, and I had graduated in December. So we're talking a full calendar year of rejection. It's a long time. Um, but I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to go out to Sault Ste. Marie. And I, I drove up to the Sioux, did an audition. And, you know, I, I got the job, and, and that was that. So that was my first career job, and you know, like on television in front of the camera and it was using a resume tape of, of stuff I'd done in school and also just being able to sort of go and intern at TSN and go out with the likes of Rod Smith yep. uh, and sort of shadow Rod and that helped immeasurably learning from a pro like Rod and able to sort of refine my on-camera presentation and everything at least got me in the door at Sault Ste. Marie. And were you covering hockey? Were you covering football what were you covering at the time i was covering news and weather and every now and again sports yeah they said look we don't have a sports opening we have someone who's in you know we have our sports anchor and when the sports anchor's sick you can maybe jump into that chair and i said okay or uh and i did get some opportunities the sioux st marie greyhounds um kind of it bled between sports and news because they were such a big attraction in the city that you'd get to you know cover the greyhounds even if it was sort of a news item um, and I was so lucky. Joe Thornton, uh, who's wow. going to be a Hall of Famer, was there uh, on that Greyhounds team. They were a very good team. And one of the things that really helped me actually get my next job was I did a five-part feature on the Greyhounds about the 25th anniversary of the team. And I kind of walked through the history of the team and how important it was such an important fabric to, to Sault Ste. Marie. And, um, and then I put that onto a resume tape and I kept bugging TSN and shooting out tapes to TSN. And then one day I got a call after about nine months in Sault Ste. Marie, I got a call from Keith Pelly, who was the, the most senior person at, at TSN at the time in terms of sports broadcasting and um, said, Hey, how would you like to go out to Calgary to be our reporter based in Calgary? And I, I actually was like, all right, who is this? You know, I thought someone was playing a trick on me. It was like <laughs> Sunday morning at eight in the morning or something. I was like, uh, it's Keith Pelly. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yes, I'm sure. So I was like, absolutely. So then that was uh, late 1997, September of 1997. And from that point forward, I um, have been doing network sports broadcasting, which has been fantastic. And I, I know you went to ESPN and then later on to, to Sportsnet. I guess maybe describe what it was like working in the States for ESPN before going to Sportsnet. Well, it was great. I, I spent five years at TSN and I was uh, a, a host. I was sort of a, an anchor on the Sports Center show for oh, cool. a couple of years. Um, but on the weekends, and I would be sort of a, a, a field reporter for some different events, as, you know, World Series and Stanley Cup final and NBA final, etc. And while I was out doing those events, I'd often would be, you know, in the States, uh, and there'd be the ESPN truck, and they had this, you know, hundreds of people, and it was like this big, big production, and then there'd be like, me and a cameraman and a producer for TSN, it was like a, such a smaller production, I was like, Oh, my God, like, look at all the resources there. And I crossed paths enough um, with them. I was like, well, it'd be really cool to get an opportunity to work on a scale like that. And I was very fortunate um, in about five years after I was at TSN, I got a, a job offer at ESPN and I was down in the States and I was hosting shows there and I was at ESPN for eight years. It was, it was fantastic. It was um, worked with a lot of really talented people and it was really interesting not as much hockey coverage obviously as we have here in Canada mm -hmm. but trust me we were the college basketball the college football which I loved 
yeah. uh, naturally. So it was it wasn't a, a bad fit for me at all. And what were some of your most memorable? What, what would be your most memorable moment covering sports? I guess for ESPN. Well, I spent four years in studio uh, as a host on ESPN News and some Sports Center and Outside the Lines, and then I did four oh. years uh, reporting. Uh, based out of Toronto, but traveling a lot, too much, actually. Um, gosh, covered a lot of really interesting uh, events when I was out there. I, I did a whole bunch of uh, baseball playoffs, uh, NBA finals, so the Celtics and the Lakers NBA final, which wow. was really exciting. Yeah, uh, Miami Heat versus Dallas Mavericks NBA final. So there were some moments like that. Um, some NASCAR races were not my favorite, I'll be honest with you. It was a different environment for me. Um but it was just good to be exposed to that as well and sort of see what that whole situation's like. And I was really, one thing I was lucky with Alex is um, I had a chance to go down to Australia when I was with ESPN to do a story on um, a young girl. Um, oh my gosh, I'm having a brain blank. This is what happens when you get older, uh, who solo circumnavigated the globe. Yes. Uh, sailing. Oh my gosh. How am I forgetting? I remember the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was 15 years old. We did a whole story. That was really interesting. Went down, met her family and we thought, oh my God, how you'd be sending your 50 year old daughter out to sea like this. And then I met the girl and I was like, oh, she's like an old soul. She's so interesting and smart and she was able to successfully do it. And, you know, as someone who then ended up having kids of my own, I was like, well, it's in the, Parents kept saying, we, we box in kids. We put them in these mm -hmm. boxes and say, well, you're so young. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're not capable. And their attitude was, of course, you're capable. We just have to give them the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it's something I always thought of in the back of my mind. Um, Jessica Watson was her name. Okay, there you go. Um, in the back of my mind, I always thought when I was raising my kids, yeah, you do want to kind of push them and allow them a bit more freedom. And I didn't want my kids to solo circumnavigate sailing, you know, the world. But uh, it was a good parental you know thought for me moving forward as as I had kids of my own and and just to move on to now you're working at Sportsnet what's that been like and and, and hosting games for Hockey Night in Canada uh it's been great you know what it's been I've been I was at Hockey Night in Canada when it was with CBC for three years and then the rights came over to Rogers and I was lucky enough to get a job um to continue doing that and I've been a rinkside host and I've been a studio host and uh it's been fantastic I've been Really, we work with a great group of people, really talented, and they know so much about the game. And, mm -hmm. you know, just to work with an iconic brand like Hockey Night in Canada, it's, you know, 70 years in running and, you know, the longest running cable sport or sports program period there's ever been. Mm -hmm. And um, what makes it special is the passion, right? People are so passionate about the sport and, it's so much a you know part of the fabric of so many different communities across Canada and people care. And, you know, I take that as a serious responsibility. People really care about these teams. They have, they're emotionally bound to it and they're welcoming, welcoming us into their uh, living rooms, you know, Alex and sort of saying we want an escape from our, you know, everyday life and all the work and all the stresses. And this is supposed to be a fun, entertaining, exciting two and a half, three hours for us. So we take that really seriously. It's, it's a real blessing. We get that opportunity and it's a, it's a responsibility. We, we care about a lot and it's been, it's been a fun and fantastic run. Although I'll say this, we're waiting for a Canadian team to win the Stanley cup yeah. because, you know, it was really fun being in Colorado and Tampa and seeing Avalanche win the cup in Tampa and, you know, all the different cups we've been to over the, the last, you know, decade uh, or so. But, you know, since I've got into sports broadcasting, the Canadian team has not won the Stanley Cup. I, I was there in, you know, 
2000 when I think New Jersey won, 2001 when Ray Bork got his cup. I've been there through all, you know, 2002 when Detroit won an, another cup, but I've never been there in all that time since the beginning of, of this uh, century to now, and it's been 30 years. So I'd love to know what it's like, you know, whether it's Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, wherever, uh, the cup's brought out and a Canadian team has the cup and the crowd's going absolutely, you know, ballistic. So I'm hopeful that that'll happen sometime soon. No, I'm, I'll ask, I want to ask you a bit later on about who you think is probably the best or some of the better teams in Canada this year. But I also wanted to just go back a little bit to Hockey Night in Canada. What do you think are some of the things that really make the show work, like in studio? That's a great question. I think, first of all, having strong opinion and strong voices and Hockey Night has that. I mean, there's so many good broadcasters across the country, but you know, when you take someone like Kelly Rudy, who's been in the game for so long and has such, you know, a great um, respect for him from the commu hockey community and Cassie Campbell Pascal and, you know, Jennifer Botterill and Kevin BX, and you take these strong voices, right, who've, you know, made it to the top of their profession and are so, they can analyze the game, they're so articulate and they, they watch the game through a very sophisticated lens. You know, I, I think about um, being lucky, uh, you know, to sit beside, you know, the Anthony Stewart's and sit beside some of these guys and they're watching the game and they have such a sophisticated view of, of how, of what's happening. And to us civilians, it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And now I, I probably watch the game through a much more sophisticated lens now than I did, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, so I just think they're able to lend their voice uh, with their backgrounds. And at the same time, I, I think we understand just how important it is. Like, we don't want to treat it like, oh my God, it's life or death, but you also don't want to, you know, you, you don't take the viewer for granted. I think you have to recognize how sophisticated the average Canadian viewer is and mm -hmm. they want analysis, they want to be entertained and to find that happy medium of, you know, we're giving you information or analyzing the game, but we're doing it in a fun, inviting way where it's welcoming and we're not yelling at you and we're not, you know, talking to you, but we're talking with you. So mm -hmm. I think there's always a delicate balance there, but I think we have a group of people um, who really understand that, you know, Ron, one of the most respected, um, you know, sports broadcasters ever, and Elliot Friedman, who's one of the hardest working and most credible guys there is. So when you have this whole team of people working together, um, it really works out well. No, no, it, it, it's I as a viewer, I love the show. And I love when you're on because I've seen you for mm -hmm. a decade plus. Um, I wanted to move on a little bit to diversity in hockey and it's been a, a like a it's come up more recently probably for the better um and i know that you said that there's the hockey diversity alliance that started with the key malu and other nhl players and people and i know that you said that hockey hosting hockey night in canada is an opportunity but also a responsibility as someone of color and that people come up to you and kind of say it's so nice to see someone like you in that role on the platform such as hockey night in canada what does what I guess what does hosting Hockey Night in Canada mean to you as someone of color? Well, you know, I think you encapsulated a lot of it right there, Alex. It, it's so true, and it happens a lot. I'm, I walk my dog a lot. It's probably more than I need to, but it's good to get out and get some fresh air. So, people come up to me, and and quite often people who look like me and say, "Hey, it's really great to have you there," and um, sort of feel represented. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of underrepresented groups and a lot of marginalized groups, and there still continues to be problems that there's a long way to go. Um, but I do think it's important um, that our broadcast 
reflects society and reflects the community watching the games. And, you know, I live in Toronto, an incredibly uh, diverse city, a very multicultural. And, you know, hockey fans, you can put 10 people who look completely different in a row together. The one thing that might unite those 10 people is their love of hockey, their passion for the game. And the fact that they might be able to see someone on television or hear a voice and they go, okay, there's someone from my community or someone with my similar background. It's important. And um, it, it's just about having this big sort of uh, mesh of different people with different life experiences. That's important to, ha to have. And I'm, I'm lucky to have that opportunity. And I remember as a young boy, when you talked about wanting to get into sports broadcasting, I'm always a huge sports fan, always watch the sports uh, highlight shows. You know, when I was watching, it was before TSN, it was before Sportsnet, but we would watch, there was uh, on CNN, there was this sports show with Vince Cellini and Van Earl Wright and Fred Hickman. It was, you know, probably before your time, but this is what I grew up watching when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. And, and there was Fred Hickman, who was, you know, an African-American um, person. And I was like, okay, well, this, you know, it's nice to see someone who looks like that on the, on the set. And I'd be watching in Toronto and I would see John Saunders and Mark Jones and mm -hmm. um, to have sort of people that you look up to and sort of say, hey, there, it is a possible position for me. And it's a platform um, with a, it's a very amplified platform. So to be able to be in that position is something that's really an amazing opportunity. And, and as you said, a bit of a responsibility too that, that I love having. Do you feel there's almost a, uh a sense of ownership in terms of feeling like a, that you're a role model for kids growing up right now who are of color? Well, listen, if anyone, if any, if any kids watching um, that, that sees themselves in me and says, wow, that's something I'd like to do. And, and they feel it's a more achievable goal because they see someone who looks like them as been able to accomplish that. And that's fantastic. You know, Harner Ryan Singh is one of our play-by-play um, people, I mean, the incredible amount of hurdles he had to to climb in in his situation specifically to to get to the role of of a play by play person on Hockey Night in Canada. It's unbelievable. And there's a whole community, you know, behind him listening and saying, "Wow, this is amazing." And you know, again, I, I think what's been really nice in the last few years is there has been an acknowledgement. This isn't a hockey thing. This is just a societal thing that you know there's been some barriers and there's been some glass ceilings and. You know, we need to, you know, start from the top down, not from the bottom up necessarily. And, you know, where we'll really get some great traction in games like hockey isn't necessarily when there's more black players or more black broadcasters. But, you know, once you have some black owners and then that and some black GMs and then it'll just naturally cascade down, um, the culture will be more open, more inclusive. You know, we talk about diversity, but it's got to be more inclusion and like wanted inclusion and where it's a safe environment where people feel their voices can be heard and they can be themselves and they can, you know, act how they feel like acting um, and, and not have to sort of find themselves into a box and be confined in that sense. And I think that's where we're trying to get to as a society and it's slow, but at least now I think there's an acknowledgement, Hey, there have been some barriers. We need to branch out and allow people, you know, to spread their wings. I, I I think I want to go off that to another kind of serious topic in the game of hockey, and that's the Hockey Canada situation and Kyle Beach and, and these kinds of stories. I think, what do you think has to change with Hockey Canada specifically and, and hockey culture? Well, that's such a tough question, Alex. Um, 
I think once again, there's finally a bit of an acknowledgement. You know, this isn't, these aren't one-off situations. There's been multiple accusations and multiple stories, and we now see multiple investigations taking place. And I'm sure we don't know about many, many other things that have probably transpired throughout the years. And, you know, I think it starts with kids, right? We have to, you know, what are we teaching our kids? And kids who are getting into hockey, you know, what what kind of role models do they have and, and what are they being taught? And within the confines of the sport, what's being accepted as a, what's being understood as accepted behavior and what's being considered not acceptable behavior? And do we need to have a really honest conversation about that? And I would say, yeah, you know, I mean, as a parent of two kids, you know, you always have these opportunities to say, well, this is a learning, you know, situation here, or this is an opportunity for us to really dig in on something because I'm not sure what you're thinking, what's right or what's wrong. And we need to have better overall judgment um, and more empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes these things get lost. Um, you know, my, my son played in the GTHL, which is the biggest yeah. um, minor hockey association in the world. And there were some great moments for him, but there were some tough moments too, and things that he shouldn't have had to have gone through, but he did. And you have to wonder why, why did these things happen? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't necessarily happen when he's playing basketball or when he's played soccer. So why is this happening in hockey? You have to, you know, you don't blame the sport, but you wonder if there's just been an allowance of certain types of completely inappropriate and unacceptable behavior. And it gets, you know, becomes part of, as you say, the culture of the game. So I think the awareness, the education, and what I'm, what I'm thankful for is I work with a colleague, Anthony Stewart, who started up hockey equality. He's doing a great job. Uh, He and his wife, Shante, they're talking to kids. It's, it's, I don't say it's too late when they're 16, 17, 18, but so much of this behavior has maybe been normalized by the time they're 15, 16, 17. It's more difficult. When you talk to kids at eight and nine and 10 in the informative years, and these are conversations really that should be taking place at home, but they're not necessarily taking place in everyone's home. And not everyone has as much exposure. So it's not necessarily, um, you know, racism or sexism, but there's just maybe less exposure. So it's more ignorance than anything else. But yeah. Um, he's going out to the community and he's trying to make a difference, he and his wife. And it's not just about, you know, saying, hey, don't say these words. It's like, let's educate. You know, if you have never met a person who looks different than you or from a different religion than you or different race than you, you know, you know, here's an opportunity to get people together and break down some of those barriers and see we're all very alike. You know, we all bleed red. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's important to remember that. And Anthony and his group are doing some great things right now. And it feels like a lot of different communities are embracing getting that type of education. And I think that's something we need to do with the kids who are at a young age, more impressionable. And with different attitudes will become different behavior. And with different behavior, more people will feel included and accepted. I, I my, my last question on that is more to the role of the journalist. And mm-hmm. what is the role of sports journalists in the matters of abuse and and such does there need to be more onus on sports journalists to delve into these stories more than just what happens on the field or ice or whatever alex i I think that's a really fair uh statement i think we you know the job of the media the role is really to be the liaison you know it's really to tell stories and to have the truths out there and it's really incumbent on us to have our ear to the ground and know what's going on. And when, you know, we hear there's certain activities or situations, report on them and report on them thoroughly and know what's happening and why and what are the consequences, et cetera. 
Um, and these stories, you know, it's funny. Um, part of me as a sports broadcaster is like, oh man, there's 10 games on top tonight. I'd love to just dig in on the games. And then part of me goes, well, we also have a responsibility when there's these other bigger stories, Kyle Beach or Hockey Can or whatever the stories are. We have to talk about these issues because they're so important. You know, they transcend sport. It's, it goes above and beyond wins and losses and goals and assists. This is like life stories. And that's where, you know, all of us in the media can maybe help make a difference about educating people and, um, you know, telling stories that are really important and maybe helping you know, bring communities together because of, you know, education and, and things of that nature. So I think we play an important role. I think we certainly can do better collectively. And that's something I think a lot of us, including our bosses, you know, the senior executives who decide, you know, the content in shows are starting to really be aware. Like these aren't stories we can just fluff off. We need to be telling these stories and we need to be digging in and, and making sure that we're as accountable as we're asking the athletes to be accountable. Right? We have a role in this too. Well, you you put that very beautifully and eloquently, and thank you so much for for giving your thoughts. I wanted to transition from the serious and but important matter that we were just talking about to a much more fun NHL talk. Or you're right, you're you're, <laughs> you're you're. I think you'll like this first question. It's um, it's. If you were commissioner for one day, what rule would you change? Uh, NHL commissioner. Um, I think, and this might not be the most popular with some of the players, but I think I would increase over time to 10 minutes. I think people are bored of the shootout. It's not a satisfying win. Thankfully, and we saw last night, I don't know when this is running, but we saw last night, um, you know, the Leafs went to overtime against Dallas and they won in overtime. And that's satisfying. If you lose in overtime, it's satisfying. It's like, okay, it was, it was hockey. I feel people now look at the shootout and say it's, it's a skills competition. And I know three on three hockey is different than five on five hockey, but I think we've now just been acclimated to like accept it and enjoy it, embrace it to some level. Um, I would love to see it go to 10 minutes. I, I'm, there are a bunch of other rules that maybe would be even better, but I think just on the surface, a 10 minute overtime um, no one will complain about that. There's so much parity in the league and there's what 20% of the games go to, go to overtime and some to a shootout. So you're talking about one in every five games, just if you had a 10 minute overtime, I think the shootout would be almost gone. In fact, you can go 10 minute shootout and then a tie if they just yeah. can't settle it. But I'd be very comfortable that in 10 minutes it will get resolved. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and just as fans, like, uh, they're so exciting. So exciting. So it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and especially now with the NHL, there's so much skill in the league. It's not as though I've never seen one bad three on three overtime. Um, <laughs> I wanted to move a bit to what you mentioned earlier that uh, you haven't seen a Canadian team uh, win the Stanley Cup as a broadcaster. What team or uh, and and I also know that you mentioned that you thought I think six out of the seven uh, Canadian teams you thought could make the playoffs. Which Canadian team do you think will have the best season this year? Well, it's funny. I think I could see Edmonton winning the Pacific. I could see them having a great regular season. Um, having said that, I think the, the most Stanley Cup ready team is probably just up uh, or, or down the province in Calgary. Um, I just look at the Flames as a more complete team, top to bottom. I mean, McDavid, Drysaddle, you know, Nurse, they've got some incredible players in Edmonton. But when I look at that six-man unit, in fact, you can really say a seven-man unit on the blue line for Calgary, and then you have Jacob Markstrom in net, 
man, like that's a playoff Stanley Cup caliber back end and goalie. And it's just, they're so deep. They're so good. And you could argue, you know, as much as Johnny Gaudreau was fantastic and Matthew Gachuk's a great player, Huberto and Kadri give them a bit more balance. You know, Kadri on, on that second line, they're not so reliant. Like last year, that top line was so good for Kadri. It's probably the best line in hockey, but they were, you know, once they got into the series with Edmonton and, and the, the Lindholm, Kachuk, Gaudreau line wasn't being as effective, that was it. You know, they didn't get as much complimentary scoring. Where I think it's Kadri on the second line, not just from an offensive standpoint, but, you know, he's a horrible matchup for, for players because he gets so under their skin. He's so effective. Hmm. Uh, he's such a good defender in that way um, that I think they have more elements at their disposal. If I'm Daryl Sutter, I'm probably pretty pleased when I look up and down the lineup. So, Calgary, I would say, is probably the best bet to win a cup this year, in my opinion. And Edmonton could end up at the end of the regular season, though, with, with the most points. And then let's not discount Toronto. Um, you know, I'd love to see Winnipeg have a resurgence. Last year was a complete mess for them. Um, but they're still a really good team with a lot of really good parts. And Connor Hellebuck is a world-class goalie. So I look at Winnipeg as definitely in the mix. Uh, I was hot for Vancouver to start the year. They've started out quite horribly. But... I, you know, they, they have some defensive problems and the injuries have become a problem and the start is a big problem for them. But, you know, I'd like to think that they still will be fighting for a playoff spot. I guess I want to ask you a bit uh, after about my senators, but <laughs> I wanted to go back a bit to the Leafs. Like, do you see them as being like a Stanley Cup? Like, do you think they could make the finals? Do you think like they can finally get over that first round hump? I, I mean, they certainly could. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say they can't with, the, with some of the star power they have as well. Do I think this is the best iteration of the Leafs we've seen in the last six, seven years, you know, knowing they've been knocked out in the first round in the last six years? No, I would say, I would say some of the previous teams, I would have maybe held the supporting cast around Marners, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander. Um, I think the jury's still a little bit out on, on their third and fourth line. I, I, we were talking about this last night in the broadcast with Anthony Stewart and Elliot Friedman and, and Anthony brought up the point that, you want those third and fourth lines to be identity lines, the way New York had that line when you know, it was Sezikis and Clutterbuck and Martin, yeah. where just everyone's heads on a swivel and they go out there and they set the tone. They start the they start the period and they set the tone, right? The Leafs don't have those types of players. They just don't. And um, I wonder if they have an incredibly skilled lineup, but I just wonder if that is an element you need to grind through you know, three and four rounds of the playoffs, you know, and watching both Tampa and Colorado last year, they had these guys who could really grind it out. I'm not talking about their, the, the McKinnons and the top end guys. I mean, just the guys, the supporting cast around them. And I'm just wondering from the Leafs standpoint, and now that Jake Muzzin's out indefinitely, you know, the blue line is thinned, you know, appreciably from, from where it might've been, you know, last year they had Muzzin, they had Labushkin, they had a bit more of a physical element to it. And now you have no Muzzin, you have, you've lost Labushkin. And I'm just wondering how that's going to play out. So that's a big question, Mark. Do you, I guess just quickly, do you worry about them in net? Well, one thing I'll say is Samsonov has been uh, very steady so far. He's only had three starts, but he's won them all. And he's been, you know, the big question mark was who's going to be number one? And, oh, can Matt Murray stay healthy? And we saw Matt Murray didn't stay healthy, at least early on. And, 
you know, Samsonov was a great insurance plan. You know, they got him after they got Matt Murray and, you know, for $1.8 million on an expiring contract, you know, he's playing for a contract. He's playing to sort of reestablish himself at 25 years old as a number one goalie. And maybe that'll happen. So right now I wouldn't say goaltending is the number one issue with the Leafs. I'd say maybe a little bit of the balance at the back end of their forward group. And also their blue line is just a lot of injuries there. And, and what does that look like? When you look at the other top blue line, you look at the Stanley Cup teams and the caliber of blue line, whether it's Colorado or Tampa and those types of teams. And, you know, I mentioned Calgary. I don't think the Leafs blue line one to six. They have a lot of talented parts, but I don't think collectively you're like, ooh, that's a blue line that I look at as a Stanley Cup blue line. And to transition to the Senators who probably have that problem and probably an even bigger problem on defense, how do you see them going into this year? They're, they've started off decently so far. Do you think they can be a playoff team or do they really need to add another defenseman? Well, it's funny. We we asked the question, one of our burning questions last night in our broadcast was, which non-playoff team from a year ago do you think will make the playoffs this year? And Anthony Stewart said Ottawa. And I thought that was a pretty good answer. I, I think Pierre Dorian had as good an offseason as anyone, um, you know, adding Debrinkit, adding Giroux. You know, we haven't had a chance to see Cam Talbot because of the injury, but I think I'm a big Cam Talbot fan. And, you know, the maturation, you have Sanderson breaking in now. Um, <coughs> pardon me. You're definitely have some questions on that blue line, but I really like this Ottawa team more than I did a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to go to the Jets just quickly, if that's okay. Um, uh, so, uh, no, no, it's okay. Um, I'm just worried a little bit about, as a Jets fan, I'm, I don't know if listeners know, but I, my dad's from Winnipeg and I'm in Ottawa, so I have, I have two uh, affiliations. Um, do you think like they had such a kind of mediocre pedestrian year last year and they've been okay so far this year? Do you think, do you still believe they could be a really, really good team? I do. I think they would need everything to fall into place. But I think when you have a goalie like Connor Hellebuck, what did we see two years ago, right? Montreal Canadiens, Carey Price, carried them all the way. I know it was the bubble. I know it was a weird time, but um they made all the way to the final um, on a, a decent team, but really they had a superstar goalie and they had a solid defensive core. The Jets defensive core, it's still a bit of a work in progress, but certainly have Connor Hellebuck. And if they don't have to play him 65 times, they could play him 58 times and keep mm -hmm. him fresh for a playoff run and for the playoffs. Um, I think you have a great opportunity. Yeah. I think you've gone and intentionally or not, you've probably, you know, rate elevated Blake Wheeler's attention. You took the C off of him. You, you know, sort of put him in a position where he can say, you know, you know, screw you guys. Like yeah. I'm still a great player, great leader. And you've then elevated in a way, Mark Shifley, throw the A on him and you've, you've given him a bit more status. And I just think this could work out really well. And you have a new voice behind the bench. Paul Maurice said they needed a new voice. He resigned last year. And you have Rick Bonus, who I think is, you know, considered by, you know, held in such high regard in the hockey community. And I think players know where you stand with Rick Bonus. I think that's important. And he challenges players. And I, and he also has a very, he's a very structured approach defensively. So they have a structured approach, hella buck, and you have some motivated forwards who are trying to prove some things. I, I think that could be a great recipe for the Jets this year. Well, I, I hope you're right. And I hope they, <laughs> they, they go far in the playoffs or and, and just make the playoffs, honestly. Mm -hmm. I wanted to move on just to the NHL at whole, like as a whole before I let you go. Um, who do you see as favorites? I do know that you predicted Calgary versus Rangers in the finals and you picked the Rangers to win it. 
Um, maybe explain a little bit of that choice and if there's any dark horse teams you really like that people might be sleeping on. Well, let me preface it by saying I'm an idiot. I'm always bad at these things. So I picked Vancouver to win the Pacific Division last year. So, so that should give you some sense of where my head is at. Um, I like the Rangers. I had a chance to cover them last year in the East Final versus Tampa. I just think they have this great mix of these, you know, legitimate star players, the Panarins, the Criders, the Zibanejads, the Foxes, with this up-and-coming group, the Kakos, the Heedles, the Lafreniere, the Ke'Andre Millers. And then you have the world's best goalie in Shesterkin, you know, or he's right there with Vasilevsky, 1-1-B, one, one whatever. So I just like the makeup of the team. Um, I just think they feel like they've got a bit of mojo here. you got Gerard Gallant, who, as we've seen, is very good when teams sort of are just coming to establish themselves. We saw what he did in Vegas, and he's able to kind of get the us versus the world mentality. And I mm-hmm. think this team has a bit of a chip from last year and getting as far as they did. They think they have some confidence, but they also know they can go further. And, man, they're fast. Like, yeah. And it's a speed game now, as you know, like, they just they can skate and they can skate hard and they can skate top to bottom in that lineup and I think that's going to serve them well. So that was my rationale and you know look, watch them miss the playoffs or something now. But um, at least when I was thinking it through, I was like, oh, what would be kind of a sexy pick, right? You know, it's easy to say Colorado Tampa again, but I thought no, I'll go off the board a little bit and take this up and coming rising team. You know, in a division where there's a lot of question marks, obviously Carolina is a very good team. Pittsburgh's a very good team. But there are some question marks in that division. And I thought, you know, maybe the surest thing are the New York Rangers. And is there another dark horse team other than the two that you've mentioned that you really like or? Yeah, I'm, I've cooled on them because they've got off to a horrible start. But, I, you know, if I'm going to pick someone out west, I did really last year. I, I liked the makeup of the Minnesota. Uh, okay. team. I, I liked the wild, but. You know, it's funny, I'm, I was talking, I was asking some of our analysts, um, I'm on a new show, Rogers uh, Monday Night Hockey, and I was talking to Anson Carter and Keith Yandel, and they weren't as hot on Minnie as I was, and they kind of had some reasons. I was like, okay, when you put it that way, you know, <laughs> um, just maybe shed some light on it. But I I, um, I don't know. The Wild, I looked at as a team that, you know, I, I think Fleury needs to be the Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, Vesna winner from two years ago, um, and he's gotten off to a very tough start, but... Um, I, I like, I guess, the makeup of that Minnesota team as far as the balance and mm-hmm. size and they can grind yeah. you out in skill. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm watching them. Uh, they're coming to Ottawa next week. So I'll, ah. I'll see them and I'll, uh, I'll give you a scouting report. Uh, nice. I, I, I just wanted to end off. You just mentioned um, before you go that you have a new show, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Um, maybe just speak about the new show and, and the new program and anything else that you have coming up for Sportsnet. Well, it's really exciting. Um, <clears throat> it's a brand new show. We've only actually had one episode so far, and we're going to have our second one coming up on Monday. Uh, every week we have at least one Canadian team featured. And what's cool about the show is, you know, it's not about the type of analysis you might get elsewhere. Um, you know, hey, the zone entries are really bad, or, you know, hey, <laughs> the dump and chase and all these sorts of things. Um, we want opinions. We want opinions. We want debate. We want conversation. And we have the perfect people for that. We have Cassie Campbell-Pascal, you know, two-time Olympic gold medal winner and a lot of strong opinions. We have Anson Carter, who's on TNT, does a great job, you know, 200 plus goals in the NHL. Again, really strong opinions on things and very creative guy. And what's also cool is we have Keith Yandel, who's like fresh off retirement, all-time NHL Ironman, at least for another week until Phil Castle passes him. <laughs> and he, again, he sees the game 
through such a, a lens that he just he's oh, he's right there. He like he just left the dressing room, and you don't often get guys into your studio who just came off you know a sixteen year career. So they have worlds of uh, of credibility and worlds of experience, and it's incumbent on me to sort of just get the conversation started and and force them to, to sort of take some strong opinions, and we're gonna have some great debate. And we're gonna have some fun doing it. So that's sort of the idea of the show. Let's let's break down the games. We'll do it in a fun way, um, conversation driven, and and we hope people enjoy it and welcome us into their homes. And we have some great matchups this this Monday. We have uh, Edmonton Pittsburgh. So you have Crosby versus McDavid. Wow. What's going to be better than that? So we're we're really excited this year. Well, thank you so much, David, for taking the time out of your busy day to come on. And uh, I had a great time. And thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure, Alex, and uh, good meeting you. And obviously, uh, our fathers worked together way, way in the past, yeah. which is a pretty cool, you know, uh, lineage. And now here we are working together yeah. uh, on this podcast. So thanks so much and good luck with everything. Thank you very much. And uh, listeners of Behind the Play, we'll have another episode coming out shortly. So uh, stay tuned.